Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley, and welcome to another opportunity to worship the Lord together. And we're going to come into his presence. I encourage you to come to your feet, worship God from where you are, wherever you're tuning in. Let's give God praise. We're going to introduce a brand new song to you called Graves into Gardens, and it just speaks again to God's mighty power and how worthy of praise he is. you 
we follow, Lord. We just come before you and we sing your praise, Lord. Pray that as we come into your presence this morning, it would be a time to encounter you in a holy way, Lord. Lord, that we would just take you in and allow you to move in our hearts, Lord. Draw us closer to you, Lord. these songs would be an offering to you, Lord, that you would just be pleased by our voices, giving you praise first thing in the morning, Lord. And as we seek you, again, be with us throughout this day. Speak to our hearts as we look into your word, as we come into your presence, Lord. Pray that you would just be with each and every person as they're hearing this message, Lord. If there's even one that feels remotely far away from you, Lord, that you would just touch their hearts and draw them to you, Lord. It would be a time, Lord, again, to just be with you. We just thank you so much for this opportunity. To you in your precious name. Amen. Hey guys, my name is Marcus, and on behalf of the SBCC staff, we'd just love to welcome you. And if you are here for the first time, please, we would love for you to fill out our online communication card. That just gives us a chance as a staff to get to know you and reach out to you and be a support to you. At South Valley, we are about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are some spiritual disciplines that you can engage in that can help you do just that. And we want to just make sure to help provide you with those things. So one of the most foundational ways is to make sure that you're spending time in God's word. And maybe you don't know where to start in your Bible and not sure how to navigate it. One great way to be able to do that is through the Our Daily Bread devotional, which is available online, or you can have them send it to you free of charge for a physical copy. And it's just daily scripture, different scripture each day, and life applications that will help you to apply the scripture that you're reading each day. Great way to get to know the heart of God and to take those steps to grow in him. Also, another excellent discipline is that of serving, using the gifts that God has created for you to use as you have been made for a purpose and for such a time as this. And so use those gifts to serve others, to glorify him. And one of the ways that we have available right now is through Renewed Thrift Store. It is on and popping over there, you guys. And they are looking for people who are willing to help with customers, to help with inventory, to receive the donations that come in from the community as well. And so if you are interested in taking that step in terms of growing in your faith, please contact Lerma and she will be able to totally inform you as far as what you need to know. And then another discipline that is key in growing your relationship with God is through sacrificial giving. And here at SVCC, we engage in the practice of giving and consistently knowing that what we have is not ours, but it is what the Lord has provided for us. And so we want to be a good steward of what it is that he's given in terms of our finances. And so those offerings that we give each week obviously help within the function of the church uh, proper, but it also allows for us to be able to extend opportunities and resources to our various ministry partners that we have locally and nationally and globally in order for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus through our community and the world so that the gospel can be perpetuated on and on again. And so we just want to encourage you to be consistent in, in those three areas, in your spending time with the Lord, in your service, and in your giving. And if you're looking to give, if you're SVCC family, you can go through the normal channels of checking out the website, sbcclamore.org slash donate, or you can give through the church center app, or you can text your offering, or you can drop your offering off at the church office door. You guys, we are so grateful for your goodness. Thank you so much for praying for our staff as we just continue to heal through some of the COVID realities that we're living through right now. But know that we love you and that we're praying for you. And we are looking forward to seeing what the Lord has to say in and through today's message and worship today. You guys are awesome. Thank you for hanging out with us. We'll see you. Well, good morning, folks. And thank you for joining in this service, not filmed in the auditorium. Uh, filmed next to a sign of all the stations in the London Underground and how we wish we could be travelling globally and visiting London and home in Scotland as well as Kenya and Guatemala and Haiti and the other places that often we get to go to. But uh, hoping that you're well. Obviously we've had some Covid happening amongst the church staff and we're just getting back over that there and uh, we are excited to be able to hopefully in the next couple of weeks uh, meet in person again in the auditorium. But for this week, we hope you're safe. We hope you're well as you watch this from your living room. So from our living room to your living room, 
we bring God's word and uh, we trust that it's a blessing to our hearts, okay? And I don't know, I don't know how good your memory is, okay? Uh, but I'm going to do something that I haven't done in 64 preaches since I began to be your executive pastor in February 2019. And <laughs> yeah, it does look as if I'm going to be your executive pastor for a little bit longer yet, okay? Probably through until just the beginning of the summer. Uh, and do pray also for all that's going on with, with the pastoral search. Obviously disappointed, but believing that God is with us and pray as the pastoral search team meet and pray and talk and pray as we begin to talk to other candidates that God would be stirring in them the, the desire to come and uh, lead uh, South Valley Community Church. And uh, between now and whenever that happens, we'll be here to help. And I'm actually going to be assisted by Tim Brown, who is the executive minister of Growing Healthy Churches. And uh, Tim has preached before at South Valley. And Tim's going to share some of the preaching over the next many months and help as we lead staff together and hopefully just... Uh, bring encouragement and support at this time okay but i here's what i'm going to do this morning which i've never done in six years i'm going to repeat myself six years ago so even before i was your executive pastor six years ago i spoke on this passage in lamore and i'm going to speak on it again okay and uh, sorry for repeating myself but i doubt if very much if you can remember what i spoke about two weeks ago let alone six years ago, okay? Uh, so here we go. Are you ready? Since I reached the age of two and I could understand English, I've never liked my name, Gilbert. There were no other Gilberts in my class at school. There was no other Gilberts in the church I attended. Does, does anyone know anyone who's called Gilbert? You know, why did my parents choose such an odd, unusual, uncommon name? But that's not the biggest reason why I don't like my name. The biggest reason is I grew up with a stutter, just like our new president. And all the way through primary school and all the way through secondary school, I struggled to pronounce it. I, I would say something like this here. Hi, my name is G -G 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 G -g 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 Gilbert. Oh, I, I remember in high school, we had a sub-teacher come in for the day and didn't know our names. So we were asked to introduce ourselves. And so I sweated, and I always sit at the back of the class, okay? Because I didn't really like teachers, okay? But I, I sat all the way at the back of the class and I sweated as all the other 30 kids introduced themselves. And eventually he came to me and, and he said, what's your name? And I began, my name is G -G 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 David. <laughs> Easier to say David than to try to get out my name. Well, the kids in the class, my fellow students, erupted in laughter. And the teacher didn't see the funny side of that there. And it was back in the day when teachers could use a leather belt to punish you. So, you know, you look, put your hands out like this here and I got four, four lashes right across the palms of my hands, which stung. And now, after much work and speech therapy, I'm able to introduce myself. Hi, my name is... Reverend Foster, that's easier to say than Gilbert, okay? Uh, do you like your name? And just so you know, even worse than my own name and me trying to pronounce it is when people take the privilege to abbreviate my name or give me a nickname like Gil. I will never talk to you if you ever call me Gil. Okay, and I have three people who have who've I've who I've invited to call me Gibby, but I'm not planning on inviting anybody else to do that. So, Gilbert. Well, I want to go to Mark's Gospel, and in the last many preachers that I've done, I've been speaking about Mark's Gospel, and so I want you to go back into Mark's Gospel with me, chapter three, and Mark takes his pen, and Mark tells us some names. So. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, 
designating them apostles, that they might be with them and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. And then here comes the list. There was Simon and his new name is Peter. And then there's James and his brother. And there's John, James and John, and they are nicknamed Bonerges or Sons of Thunder. <laughs> kind of makes you want to wonder why they got that nickname, you know? And then there's Andrew, who is Simon, Peter's brother, which is the second of possibly four, if not five, sets of brothers in the list. And then there's Philip, who's always bringing people to Jesus. And then there's Bartholomew. <laughs> the thing about Bartholomew is we know absolutely nothing about Bartholomew, except that his father's name was Thalmia, which is what, Bar which is what Bartholomew means. And then there's Matthew, which means the gift of Yahweh. And then there's Thomas. And Mark, who's writing this gospel, doesn't seem to know his nickname, or <laughs> maybe Thomas has bribed him not to share it, but Thomas's nickname is Didymus, which means the twin. And legend says that he got this nickname because of his resemblance to Jesus. And next on the list is Matthew's brother, James, son of Alphaeus. And then two possible other nicknames. There's Thaddeus, which means big hearted. And then there's Simon the Zealot. And that's based on the Hebrew word Chana, which means to be zealous. And so, although some people think he was part of what's known as the Zealots Movement, which was a revolutionary political movement, uh, but you know, possibly that there didn't really peak until 66 AD and Mark's Gospel was written before then, so we're not too sure that's true. And then last on the list, and always last on the list, comes Judas Iscariot. And uh, the word Iscari is, is from the word uh, for sicker or, or, or the name of a special dagger. And so this is Judas the knife man. Name. Notice they are all kind of ordinary names, names we might give our children if we grew up in Israel. Six of them have nicknames or added names, and that clearly indicates that this wasn't a list of people who held high honour or status in society. You don't nickname a titled person. Well, not, not in front of them, okay? <laughs> you certainly don't call the local mayor Son of Thunder, you know? Uh, thunder makes a loud noise, it bodes trouble. Uh, it's, it's the sort of thing you'd see in the back of somebody's Harley Davidson jacket, you know? Uh, or, or maybe not, because really Harley riders are just like accountants dressing up tough on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, but, you know, notice how many sets of brothers. Nearly half of them are brothers, and that's really interesting. That's, that's worthy of sometimes thinking about how God calls brothers or sisters or the connection between fathers and sons. Like, for instance, I'm the son of a preacher. Who was the son of a preacher? Uh, will my sons be preachers? Is there, is there a new line of Levi? And, and that's not the genes, okay? That's like the, the tribe of priests, Lots to think about uh, through this simple list of names because it's more than a list of names. It's 12 real, tangible, flesh and blood human beings. And notice the words in verse 14. He appointed them that they might be with him. And I think this is a beautiful portrait of the fully human Jesus. He needs companionship, a support group, fellowship. He lives as a person in community, not as an isolated prophet. So he calls 12 to be with him, a ragtag bunch of misfits. And this is where I want to spark or, or speak about this morning. I, I, I want you to meet the parents of the sons of thunder, Mr. and Mrs. Zebedee. They fished. Up in the north country, where Mark chapter 3 happens, Mr. Zebedee made a living out of fishing on the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Gennesaret. And it's the lowest 
freshwater lake in the world, and it's the biggest freshwater lake in Israel, 33 miles to drive around it. And James and John, the sons of thunder, are helping out with their dad's business, mending nets, trawling their nets in the early hours of the morning, selling their fish in the nearby market towns of maybe Sepphoris or maybe Capernaum. Now, now James and John hadn't grown up wanting to be fishermen in Galilee, you know. They'd hoped that they could maybe leave town and, and get to the city. But that was just a dream. And it was a dream that the only way you could really leave the small town and get to the big town was either, either if your parents were mega rich or if you really knew the Torah, if you'd really studied the scriptures, then you could be invited to study the Hebrew scriptures at the Jerusalem temple. But <laughs> James and John, while they knew every inlet and bay in Galilee, memorizing the scriptures hadn't really been their thing. And so they were stuck in little old Galilee. And this needs me to talk a little bit about education in Israel in the first century. There were three stages of formal education in Israel, and it all revolved around what's called the Torah. They didn't have textbooks like on maths or human anatomy or computer studies. Everything they needed to learn, everything that they believed that they needed to know was contained in the Torah. Not all of our scriptures, but the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, known as the books of Moses. Sometimes we call them the Pentateuch. And this is what we know from Jewish sources. The first stage of education was called Bet Sefer, which means house of the book. And you would begin Bet Sefer sometime around the age of six. And Bet Sefer was taught in the local synagogue. Yep, the local synagogue was the school, okay? And your teacher was the rabbi. And the rabbi was not just the, the, the priest or the preacher or the expositor on, on, on a Sunday morning, but he was also your school teacher and your headmaster. He was the main guy, okay? Uh, now, on the first day of school, they would sit and the rabbi would, would bring some honey and each child would have a slate that they were going to write on, okay? And the rabbi would take this honey and he would smear it over the slate. And, and it would be all over the kids' fingers and, and all over their hands. Honey, in the Jewish world, was a symbol of God's favor, of his luxury. It, it was rare. It was, it was a delicacy. It was one of the most pleasurable, enjoyable things you could have, honey. And the rabbi would cover the six-year-old slate with honey and the wee kids would have it over their fingers and on their hands. And then, and then the rabbi would say, my child, my pupil, lick the honey. And, and, and you would lick your slate and the honey. And, and the rabbi would say, may you never forget that the words of God are like honey. The words of God are like the most enjoyable, pleasurable thing. And he would say, may you never forget that the words of God are like the most pleasurable thing you could ever have. Taste and see that God is good. And then he would quote the great prophet Ezekiel. And he'll talk about how, may you be like Ezekiel who tasted the scroll and it said it tasted sweet like honey. So as a small child, the scriptures would be linked in a very tactile sense with the most pleasurable, exciting, joyful thing you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Is that how you feel about the text? <laughs> Are we preaching? Is that how you feel about the Holy Scriptures? No, for us to be followers of Jesus, I think we have to ask some very difficult questions about what we consider joyful and pleasurable. So as a six-year-old, you would begin memorizing the Torah. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And not just memorizing the names of the books, but memorizing all the words in the books. And Sefer lasted from six years old to ten years old. So by ten years old, you had the Torah memorized. Every single word. And, and you say, well, well, you know, it's different back then, you know, different to now. Well, well, okay, okay, okay. Show me two 14-year-old boys who don't know the words to every single scene in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> oh, my youngest son, uh, too much like me, okay? He, he, when he was younger, could go from where we lived to Fresno, like a 30-minute drive, and he could sing every country song that there was on the radio. Everyone, and he was proud of it, okay? We've just stressed learning and digesting different things. Would you agree? By 10, Bet Sefer, you'd have the Torah memorized. And then would come the second phase of education. This would be from the ages of 10 to 14, and it's called Bet Talmud. And during the ages of 10 to 14, you would continue on if you were one of the good students. And kind of like the Invad students would get promoted to Bet Talmud, okay? And in Bet Talmud, you would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis, all the way to the Italian prophet Malachi. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. All the way to the last prophet, Malachi. And by the ages of 14, you had memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures, the entire Old Testament. And in that memorizing, you would learn the art of Jewish questions and answers. You see, we're Western, okay, and we think Western. So our education system is very rational. It's very oriented around the transmission of information. We, we tend to see education as the, the teacher gives you information, the student takes that information, and then at the appropriate time, we call them exams, you spit back the information that the teacher had given you. And hopefully you spit it back correctly so you get a pass. So we would teach a, we would teach a child what's two plus two, and the child would say, well, that's four. We say, well done. But in the Jewish culture, they saw learning as far more interactive and there's far more processing going on. So the rabbi might say, what do two trees plus another two trees equal? And the student might, might, might answer, well, why do some trees grow taller than other trees? They were teaching children how to not only spit back information, but how to process and how to think and to how to take the discussion further. And you would learn this art of questions. That's why often when Jesus was asked a question, how does he respond? He responds by asking another question. He, he's, he's not being a politician. <laughs> it's just the Jewish way of thinking, the Jewish way of learning. So the rabbi would teach children this question and answer and Bet Talmud would be roughly for four years from the ages of 10 to the ages of 14. Uh, Jesus' parents leave Jerusalem and they realize as they're walking away that Jesus is not with them. And they come back to search for Jesus and where do they find him? They find him in the temple and what's he doing? He's answering questions giving answers. They were amazed with his questions and answers. Why? Well, Jesus had been in Bet Talmud. That's where he'd been. Now, something fascinating happens at the end of Bet Talmud. If you're the best of the best and you've been through, you know, Bet uh, Talmud, there's a third stage of education called Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash started after the age of 14. The best of the best of the best students would go on to sit Bet Midrash to become rabbis. And the rabbis were the Harvard or the Yale or the West Hills College, okay? And for this to happen, they would go to Jerusalem where the temple was. And if you were the best of the best of the best, you would go to a rabbi, generally a rabbi with authority, a powerful rabbi. And, and, and by the way, each rabbi had their own interpretations of the Torah. 
Different rabbis believed different things about how you lived out the text, like the Sabbath. You know, what was allowed on the Sabbath and what wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. And, and one rabbi might permit this and this, but not that. And another rabbi might say, well, no, I can permit that, but not this. But I do permit that. And so uh, the rabbis might be, you know, what's one, one might be called kind of loose uh, and, they, and just permit lots of things. And so to permit and to forbid was called binding and loosing. So when Jesus says, whatever you bind or whatever you loose, he's using rabbinical language. The rabbi's interpretation was called his yoke. So imagine in the old days, somebody plowing a field with an oxen and he's got a yoke around the ox's head and it's the yoke that pulls the contraption and that yoke is on the ox and there's a burden, heavy. And Well, a rabbi's interpretation was, no, was known as his yoke. So when you follow a rabbi, you would place yourself under the yoke of that rabbi. My rabbi came along and my rabbi said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, my yoke, says my rabbi, isn't about an endless list of rules. My yoke is about freedom. My yoke is about living. Perhaps you know my rabbi. Here's the sad thing. There are many people who claim to know my rabbi, but live a Christianity with a heavy yoke. Or they impose a heavy yoke on other people who want to follow my rabbi. If you have a heavy yoke, you're not following the way of my rabbi, Jesus, because he said his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So bet Midrash, you were a good student, the best of the best, and you would then choose a rabbi, one that you admired, and you would go to that rabbi and you would say, Rabbi, I want to become your disciple, your Talmud, a student. I want to learn your yoke. And the rabbi would then begin to question you, well, how well do you know, do, do, do you know the text? And he would maybe ask something like this here. In the book of Habakkuk, what are the 17 references from Deuteronomy? Give them to me backwards. <laughs> and remember, remember, everybody had it memorized. And the rabbi's fundamental driving question is this. Does this student have what it takes? Can this student be like me? And this is the driving, this is the driving question. Does this student have what it takes to do what I do? And the rabbi is looking to see, does he have it? Can he be like me? And if the rabbi thinks, well, this kid's got it. He can actually be like me. The rabbi would say to the student, Lechari, come follow me. Come follow me. And at the ages of 14 or 15 or 16, you would leave your family, you would leave your parents, you would leave your community, and you would go and follow your rabbi. Church tradition has it that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, Go and look at that story. James and John, like Simon and Andrew, are invited by Jesus to come follow me. And the text says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, that they drop their nets and they go, leave their fishing, and they go with Jesus. Why do they follow him immediately? Why? Because they had grown up hoping that one day they might get out of town, they might make it to Jerusalem, and the only way that could ever happen was if a rabbi 
called them, but they hadn't do, done too well on the account in synagogue school. They'd stumbled through Bet Sefer. They hadn't even made it to Bet Talmud. Hence, they were fishing for a living. But along walks a rabbi, and he calls them to follow him. When all other rabbis didn't invite you, you asked them, and they put you through a ringer of a Torah examination. But this rabbi, Jesus, this rabbi, Jesus, believes in me, believes I've got what it takes to be his disciple, you would drop everything immediately. I can hear Mr. Zebedee shout out, yeah darn kids, you're always running off around here, come on back. And perhaps perhaps Zebedee came home that night, honey, 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 the boys aren't with me. I can see that. Honey, honey, the boys aren't with me. I know I can see it. Honey, what do you mean they're not going to be with me? Well, what do you mean? The, this rabbi came along who thinks our boys have what it takes. Can, can you imagine Zebedee the next day in the village? Oh yeah, oh yeah, as you can see boys, uh, as you can see guys, uh, I don't have my boys with me today, right? All right, right, well, well, my boys are going to be studying with a powerful rabbi. A rabbi called your boys? Yeah! Can you imagine what it would be like to have your sons called? Can you imagine his feeling, his reputation? his joy. And so, there are 12 of them, the original disciples, and Jesus commissioned them, 12 of them. And so, a bell might start ringing in your head, 12, 12, 12, something in that number, 12, yeah, you're thinking 12 days of Christmas, no, 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 hey, 12, 12, a dozen, no, no, the dirty doesn't. no, no, cheaper by the doesn't. no, 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 big, the big 12 college conference, no, 12 commandments, duh, no, that was 10, okay, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, Whew. and now 12 disciples, 12 apostles, numerologists would say that 12 is the number of divine government. There's 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 patriarchs of Israel. There's 12 apostles. There's 12 gates in Jerusalem. There's 12 angels sitting on the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. There's 12 foundations of that same city. 12, the number of divine government. It's certainly the number of the tribes of Israel. The community of people that God called to himself. And now Israel is rejecting this Messiah. And in the appointing of 12 apostles, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, is starting a new Israel, a new community belonging to God. He is redefining Israel around himself and his followers. There's a hint of this newness in some words that are used here, okay? Verse 14, the Greek words translated designated and the word translated appointed are best translated in the English language as made and naming. Jesus is making and Jesus is naming. And this is creation activity. This is Genesis 1 language. This is a new creation language. You see, you see, the Jewish teachers thought that when the Messiah would come, he would re the, the Messiah would rebuild the temple that used to be there, and he would restore Israel to the position that they used to have when David was king, and he ruled, and enemies fled, and they had a reputation. They thought that this Messiah would come, and he would do a better version of what they had known. But my rabbi, Jesus the Christ, he's not doing a better version of what was before. Jesus is doing a new thing, a new creation, a new covenant, singing a new song as a new community. And this, this is so very, very exciting. This is the massiveness of what Jesus is doing, the scale and the size of this, the radicalness of this, the impact of this is ground-shaking, it's, it's earth-moving, it's destiny-changing, it's world history-defining. And to top it all he calls the sons of thunder. And he calls Peter.
Peter with his rashness and, and Matthew who was a cheating tax collector and Bartholomew who we know nothing about a ragtag bunch of nobodies to start it all and in that brilliance he turns society tables upside down. He turns convention theory upside down. He turns the status quo upside down. And he loudly and he boldly and he controversially invites ordinary you and ordinary me stuttering, stumbling, skinny-armed, bald-headed and equally ordinary you to be involved in a new creation that is better and greater than anything that's gone before. He invites little old me and little old you to join in. He designates and appoints and he's still designating and appointing. He's still making and naming ordinary people to build this new community, be this new community, live out this new community. So South Valley Community Church Lamar. We may have been a bigger church some years ago. We may be filled with messy Christians pursuing a messy spirituality. We may be struggling with a COVID pandemic and knowing that some people are drifting away from our church. We may not always have our act together. We may not have found our next senior pastor, but, but, in this local church, in this church, with a history of people's lives being transformed and children and families coming to know Jesus, in this church that has been about global and world mission for many, many years, in this church, amongst this group of believers, the eternal God is still naming and making you into a new creation. He's naming Janet and Jim and Robin and John and Michelle and Annie and Jordan and Vondell and Karen and all so many more. He's naming us as members of this new community and he is pinning his salvation, his plan to save the world on this ragtag bunch of stuttering, stumbling messy Christians. Never be discouraged. Never be downhearted. Because God is in the business of making and naming creation language and he is making you and me and us into a new creation. May the rest of this year, whatever unfolds in 2021, be a year when we live out being this new creation in greater and bolder and amazing ways. This is the church and it is a new creation. Let's pray. Oh God, we could never have devised this plan because in the eyes of the world it's foolishness to take the ragtag bunch of ordinary people, the fumblers and the stumblers, and to base the future of everything on us. Wow. In our world, we choose the wisest and the strongest or the biggest or the most titled. But in your world, you chose the sons of thunder and you chose a cheating tax collector and you chose Peter with a fiery temper and you chose Bartholomew who was an unknown and you called them to start it and you're calling us today in Lamar to be that new creation and to live out the new community. May we rise to this moment and be the people belonging to God that Lamar and Kings County need to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, folks. Be the new creation. And I'll speak to you next Sunday. God bless.